You're listening to Tremendous Leadership with Dr. Tracy Jones. Hi, everyone. Our guest today is a number one best-selling author of The Six Habits, a TEDx speaker, a life mastery coach, and founder of an award-winning marketing company called Vision Advertising. Our guest is Laura Benedetto, and you are going to love hearing what she has to say about paying the price of leadership. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Tremendous Leadership Podcast, Leaders on Leadership, where we pull back the curtain on leadership and we talk with tremendous leaders from all over the globe about what it took them to pay the price of leadership. And I am so excited today because our guest is coming all the way from Hawaii and she is a TEDx speaker, a number one bestselling author of The Six Habits and Life Mastery Coach, Laura D. Benedetto. And she teaches how to create the life of our dreams without sacrificing what we love. And Laura is the founder and CEO of the award-winning marketing company, Vision Advertising, located in the greater Boston area. And her story is fascinating. She created, built, and ran a growth-oriented enterprise for 19 years with tremendous success before retiring from active involvement in 2008 at the tender age of 37, and she passed on the reins to her successor. So over the years, Laura's personally sold several million dollars in ongoing contracts. She's been featured on Fox News, other Boston programming, and publicly recognized for business accomplishments, named one of the 40 under 40 at only age 23. So then she went after that, looking for her next challenge. We're going to hear all about this on her next radical journey of self-discovery, research, testing, and determined to find energy and lasting fulfillment happiness in all areas of life. So we're going to talk about this at the end, about the six factors that she found. But currently, like I said, she retired to the island of Maui, beautiful Hawaii, and she lives in tropical bliss with her husband, cats, and dogs. I love it. Laura, welcome to our podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited to chat with you. Like, I've been looking forward to this all day. I love it. Well, listen to our listeners. Just You're going to sense the energy because Laura and I chatted a couple weeks ago and realize she's my sister from another mister, and there's a lot of congruence going on in top. So I'm just hearing a little bit about her story, and I want to talk with her at the end about her book and her tools. But Laura, we're really here. Our listeners are really leaders who love leadership, who are in the journey. We're in the fight. We're just trying to do better. But there's a price you have to pay for leadership. It's a joyful journey, but you get your nose and your knuckles bloodied along the way. So my father wrote a speech called The Price of Leadership many years ago, and it has been one of his most listened to speeches. And in it, he talks about four things that if you are truly going to be wearing the mantle of leadership, you are going to have to be wearing. And the first one he talks about is loneliness. And we've all heard that it's lonely at the top, but the loneliness of leadership is kind of a very uniquely distinctive thing. Can you unpack that for our listeners when perhaps you experience loneliness in your career, uh, what you did about it, if it was good, bad, or indifferent, and maybe for some of our listeners that are in a season of loneliness? I would love to. So I really, really love being able to chat about just such vulnerable aspects of leadership. One of the things that I think is major, major misconception about leaders is that we're bulletproof. Mm. We're not. We're actually quite as fallible just as everyone else. And the thing about loneliness is it comes from so many different places. Yes, it's lonely at the top, but why is it lonely at the top? Well, first Mm. of all, there's less people like you. There's less people that can actually relate to you. There's also less people that can actually chat with you on the same level about the same nature of issues 
I mean, so my successor and I, we chat all the time, right? And I find myself sometimes having to over-explain because I'm so used to over-explaining. And then she's like, hello, it's me. Oh, right. Sorry. I can just bottom line it with you. Yeah. Because it's just so rare to find that level of understanding. It's, it's isolating in the, in the form of like your friends, no matter how much they love you, if they are not leaders the way mm-hmm. you are, mm-hmm. they just cannot meet you where you are. And you end up in this totally isolated, lonely place where it's just you and your thoughts, you and your stress, and you're just sitting there all by yourself, uncomfortable. You have no one to talk it out with. You can get a therapist. They can't figure it out because they're not (laughs) versed in this type of stuff. And unless you have another CEO as a best friend, what the hell are you going to do? It's lonely. Mm -hmm. So, So this is something that I went through for many, many years. And I remember dreaming of, God, how can I make friends that are just like me? How do I Uh find other women CEOs, not just CEOs, right? But specifically women that are breadwinners, that are responsible for the vitality of their home, that, you know, that are responsible for so many things and wish to lead from a place of nurturing and really want to do things their way. And because when you add the feminine element, you're adding in a whole other bunch of crap that men don't have to deal with because (laughs) we have to shave our legs. Men don't, right? So before... A man goes to the office, basically just roll out of bed, put on a suit and off you go. But the woman has all the other expectations. You have to look good. You have to, you know, juggle the whole societal expectations of you have to be strong, but not too strong because God forbid you're called a bitch versus a leader and things like this. And it's, it's just, it's a lot to deal with. And dreaming of these other women leaders took me so many years, but I finally found them. Okay. And that has been one of the most wonderful gifts of my life is being able to find other people that I can have these conversations with. And the thing about the loneliness is that you just need someone to talk to. Mm-hmm. And when, when you feel like crap, cause you have to fire someone mm-hmm. or you have to fire a client or you get fired or you lose a client or you made a wrong decision and something blew up in your face. Mm-hmm. You need someone that's not going to be like, Oh, right. It'll be okay. You right. need somebody to be like, that sucks. Do you need to cry? Do you need wine? Or do you need a strategy? Because right. I'm here for all three. I love that. Okay. So I love that you said somebody that can, you can bottom line it with you. Because I mean, we're like high D and it's like, just, we got to get to the bottom of, yeah, feelings. Okay. We already passed by them. Now we got to figure out a solution. Cry, wine, strategize. I love that. Where did you find some of these other people? Because this is huge for our leaders out there. You have to find other leaders to walk alongside you and advocate and, you know, and counsel or just say, hey, par for the course quit crying and pick it up. Where did you find them? So being a natural salesperson, I look at every human person that walks by me as I'm going to sell you something, right? (laughs) Even like, like I remember traveling the world and sitting in airports in London and someone like talks about like marketing and I'll be like, hello, my name's Laura. It's nice to meet you. Like I just don't stop being in sales because Uh like as the executive of the company, your job is to steer the company and that includes being responsible for its prosperity. Right. So When you wish to find people that you really, really deeply connect with, that you can bottom line it with, that you can cry about it, that you can get drunk with, that you can strategize with, you can like crush the world, you can do all the things. You have to actually intentionally pull yourself out of leadership mode. So when you are going to perhaps a networking event, God forbid, you know, we actually do that now, but like, let's pretend for a minute networking events were still a thing. Go there with the intention of connecting with other people that 
are what you are okay. with the intention specifically not to sell, but to develop a friendship and just, you know, using the disc style, the disc chart, I'm a D, I have no problem walking up to you. Hi, I have no desire to sell to you, but I really need a friend like you. Can we get right. a glass of wine? Right. And just being right to the, the front right. point of it and just like own what you're trying to do. Cause that's one of the things about like sales that people don't love is it can always feel really like sleazy and underhanded because you have to disguise your intent. I don't disguise anything. I'm not looking to sell you a damn thing. I would like to be your friend. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I and I'd love that women like you in my life. Well, and I love that you said, you know, sales and you're on it 24 seven. And I know you don't want to have the, I'm transacting something from you, but I love that when you're running an organization, you always have to be alert for anybody that could cross your path. You know, leadership is a 24 hour a day job. That's why some right. people say it's lonely at the job. I don't get to come home and put my phone in the drawer and put it back. And especially if you're an entrepreneur, you won't no. make payroll if you had that kind of a, well, I wanted to be at the top so I could just let everybody else do the work for me. And I'm like, okay, I'm not sure what you're running or leading, but I mean, I love that you, you, you're always alert, but connecting. You're always on. Yeah. And you're it's always exhausting. On. Yeah. Well, Excellent. and the other part of the loneliness is sometimes your spouse doesn't fully understand why you're not putting your damn phone down. Like, you know, and they might feel lonely because right. of your actions, because there is a huge obligation to the role of leadership that like, listen, I've got the secret bat phone. Okay. So if something goes down at 2 AM, my second in command can call me at any hour because sorry, if the world is on fire, which lately it's been on fire right. uh, at 2 AM, if you need me, I'm there. Right. You know, and, and there is an element of that that not everyone else can relate to. Right. Absolutely. And nor do they want that kind of responsibility. So when you shoulder that, you have to be available, like you said, for anybody to pick up the phone. Yeah. I was in fighter aircraft maintenance and I slept with a walkie talkie by my bed, my med in case jets weren't ready to fly. I'd hear it and we'd be out trying to figure out, okay, so what's going to fly. It's just par for the course. Yeah. Okay. So that's, so you were open to that and that's how you found that. Okay. So now the next thing he talks about is weariness and you have grown a lot of different things. And my dad, my dad was very pragmatic and he's like, listen, he cut his teeth in the insurance industry, mm-hmm. ran a small but very successful business and was like, you're going to run across people that do more than their fair share and your fair share of people that do a lot less. So how do you combat weariness? How do you stay refreshed? And look, you just said it. We always have to be on. How do you stay on top of the game? Because I know you take care of yourself and I know you balance it well. So can you share with our listeners how you do that, how you get through weariness? Sure. Absolutely. Well, when heavy is the head that wears the crown, that's yes. just, that's just yeah. a fact. Yeah. So there's a part of this I really want to kind of just clear up before we go any further. There's a physical weariness and there's a mental weariness. And the physical weariness can actually come about because of the mental weariness. Like I have sat at my desk for hours on end and I haven't really moved a lot, but my body is still exhausted. Mm -hmm. It's exhausted from sitting in the same position. I find myself absolutely physically drained sometimes, more so before, you know, before I just kind of did this whole self-work journey. I just found myself on the bitter end of burnout because- Mm -hmm. I always gave with no boundaries. I was always saying yes to everything. And sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that more is more mm-hmm. when less is more. I have a secret ninja move that I'm happy to share with you. Some of my most profound leadership choices have been made as the result of me not working. I will specifically, when I'm faced with a problem, I will take some time off. So Mm -hmm. I can let my brain work it out Mm. uh, subconsciously. 
I think one of the things that we have as a culture here in America is more is more, throw more work at it, throw more money at it, and then it'll get better. And that's not necessarily true. Right. So I have learned that when I'm confronted with a problem, I can feel a physical response in my body if I don't immediately have an answer. Mm -hmm. I you know, I don't like the fact that there's a problem. Like, and I'll be perfectly candid with you. So my company in Massachusetts has been dealt a very substantial blow as a result of the COVID crisis. Mm -hmm. Half of our clients are hospitality. You can imagine how well that's going for my company. It's not going well at all. So here's the truth. We've been forced to pivot. Oh, and my successor got cancer at the same time. So I had to briefly unretire so I could help her. Mm -hmm. Of course, I'm going to cover for her. Right. She's had radiation. She had surgery. She's recovering. She's doing all these things. She needs me. So mm -hmm. what am I going to do? Say no, mm -hmm. right? But like when you're confronted with a problem, particularly of such magnitude as, oh, great, we're losing half of our revenue. Right. Oh, God. Oh, God. Okay. Right. That's, that's like, that's not like, Oh, somebody screwed up. Let me, you know, glad Do damage him control figure out how to yeah. solve it. Yeah. Right. No, no, no. This goes way beyond damage control. This is holy crisis. Yeah. Moly. Yes. Yeah. Right. So there's that. There's, oh God, she's got cancer. And I already started another company. And how do I keep myself intact and actually help her and steer the company in the middle of the crisis? I have no problem talking to you about this. And if you want to dive deeper, I will, because I think this level of transparency is so needed. No, the company that, that I, I work so hard for is not okay. It's not right. okay, but I am. And Julia is getting better. And this is really largely in part two, the thing that I shared with you, but also some other things like number one, taking the time off. I've been saying to my team, guys, I have more responsibility on me, which is ironic than I ever had when I was in the full-time role of CEO. Uh -huh. I, I now have more responsibility on me because of the crisis, because of cancer and the fact that I already have a second career. Oh, and I'm doing it from six hour time difference away. So I've got like five hands tied behind my back and I'm still expected to do a good job. That said, you guys, I need to put my self-care and my well-being as number one top priority above all else, or I cannot show up for you. And because of that, I've been able to get perspective, yes. distance, silence. I literally walk on the beach, sit in the pool. And sometimes my brain feels like it's just white noise because I'm just like really thinking about a lot of different things. But the beauty of all of this is my subconscious is so damn smart. I need to tell her how to like, you need to effort the hell out of this. No, 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 no. Let your subconscious work it out. Give yourself the time and perspective away from it. Like I've been able to take a week away from something and be like, guys, I love you. I need a week away from this. Yes. I just, I can't do this. You, yes. You're qualified to run things without me. I trust you. I'm just going to be with it and let things knit themselves out in my head. And then inevitably, invariably, every time I come back, I have solutions. I have tranquility. I have inner peace. And I have the kind of powerful resolve and stoic leadership abilities that they deserve. And I can come up with good decisions. I can show up for my clients. I can show up for Julia because I'm not being, I, I'm not doing what so many people have done for years. And I used to do for years, which is yeah. I'm going to throw more work at it and throw more time at it. And as long as I throw myself on the fire and I set myself on fire, everything will be okay. That is a lie. I love so that. now I'm getting better results. Yes. And part two of this, I'm being very, very clear with people about yes. what I need. And you know what? Anyone that's listening, please, please take this as a huge leadership tool for your toolbox that you can really use starting today with your clients, with your stockholders, with your employees, with your team members, with your vendors, with anyone that needs you. You need to be really clear about what you need and mm -hmm. say, like I had a meeting with uh, one of our clients early this morning and 
she's up against a challenge that I don't readily have a solution for. And I just told her the truth. I owe you the best. I'm not capable of giving you the best in this moment because this is a tricky problem and I don't have a solution. Mm-hmm. Is it okay if we take a week and just let me sit with this? Mm-hmm. And let it just kind of gel in my brain. Is that okay? Yeah, it's okay. Sure. I find that oftentimes in the haste to please others, we set ourselves on fire, but also we, we don't ask for what we need because we're so afraid of people judging us. We're mm-hmm. not having the answer right away. Good leadership is knowing when you need to fall back. Good leadership is knowing when you need to slow down so you can hurry up. And it's, it calls for remarkable self-awareness, but also self-honoring. Mm-hmm. Like, guys, I need a week. Or, hey, can we meet next week? Or, or even just owning, I'm not giving you the very best that you deserve right now. I need a little bit more time so I can do that. Is that okay? Laura, I love that. And you're talking about, and there's a lot of research now, leadership about the power of the subconscious mind. And, you know, dad always say that when you work your fingers to the bone, all you get is bony fingers. And I love (laughs) that you, you know, and it's like, but that doesn't do anybody any good. So I love that you talked about going away because, you know, our primitive, it's fight or flight. I'm just going to throw more stuff at, I'm running away, I quit. And no, 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 to get into that adaptive capacity, that regenerative nature, we have to get into that creative spirit. We're on problem solving mode right now, but it's creative. I know the pandemic totally sucks as do every crisis, but out of that is a place you go to to get away to bird the next great thing that typically if you didn't have the fires separating all the dregs off and forcing you to self-isolate because what is it? Necessity is the mother of invention. It's do or die time. And so there's a beauty in that. And I love the fact that you, you were able and really encourage leaders. I have only just in the past six months really been very intentional about what you're talking about and saying, I must physically, because I love my work so much, work and fun, fun and work, what's it matter? It's all, no, a little bit of difference. And so I've really been intentional, like you said, about get away, even if it's just three days here and here, stop, think. So I love that you talk, what a great way to combat weariness. I have another thought for that. Um, Yes. I think we really just need to give ourselves one powerful thought when we think about the crises we're in. Yes, many of us are in crisis. Mm -hmm. That's okay. The good news is we're not in it alone. We're all in crisis. And this is the thing that I said in August, I took something like, I think it was like two weeks off, right? In the middle of crisis. And you know Mm -hmm. what I said to my team? The world will still be completely doomed by the time I get back. (laughs) So there is no need for me to hurry because it's not like things will be better. So can't get much worse. Uh, And if it does, okay, I'll deal with it when I get back. Right. The thing is like, if we can shift our perspective to realizing how beautiful of a job we do when things are not on fire, mm-hmm. right? And we're looking at like, you know, in an ideal world, if I had a week to just pleasurably noodle about this problem in my mind and have fun playing with it as if it were a fun puzzle, could I come up with a better solution? Yeah, I could. So then give yourself that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Give yourself the pleasure and the joy of solving the problem versus the chaos, the insanity, and the demand, and the ulcers. Don't recommend. I love it. And you hit on the ask. When you get very clear, the other thing about a crisis is you get really clear on what stays on your plate because you can only have one plate. And so I love it because it kind of purges all the other time sucks off and it's like, oh no, all hands on deck. But when you ask, I tell people when they are really run down or when I'm run down, stop, Tracy. What you need to delegate and you need to ask people very specifically what you need them to do. I need to find the right resources to outsource something to. I need to have a talk with my fellow team members and 
say, well, tipping over a little bit. We need to look at reload about that. But I love it. Don't be afraid to ask. People are there. And like you said, if they can't, they won't. But there's a lot of people out there that still, I've had more people step up to help me during this time frame than in the 12 years I've been back since running the company. Why? Because I'm a lot more honest and authentic about the ask. Thank you. That's remarkable. I mean, yeah. even to that point, I've experienced the same thing. Yeah. Like, so my people, they're in Massachusetts and Oregon. And I remember sitting down with them sometime in like probably July. No, actually it was August, right before I took those two weeks off. And I said to them, guys, I don't know how to solve this. Mm-hmm. And I was super vulnerable. And I was like, mm-hmm. here's what I know. I know I care about you. I know I did not put 21 years of my life into this to watch it go down the drain. Oh, hell no. I am not going down while the fight. Okay. I am loyal to you guys. I care about you deeply. You are part of my weird little family and you are people I fight for. And I want to know that you're going to fight for me too. And they said, yes. And I said, so that being said, I'm coming to you very honest and very vulnerably right now and telling you I'm laying my problem at your feet. And I'm asking you to help and contribute and give me your ideas, even if they suck. Right. I can't do this alone. I've never been faced with something of this magnitude. Right. Leaders need help. And you know what? The vulnerability, the communication, you know what I got in response? Laura, I love working for you. I've never felt more valued and more appreciated. I will, I will help you and right. I will do everything I can to help. I will fight hard for this company. I heard from another one. Yeah, no, we're not going down without a fight. I heard right. from another one. No, this is the best company I've ever worked for. And the fact that you're so vulnerable and so honest is what makes me want to make this the last place I ever work. And I'm like, yeah. I love it. You know what I, I mean? love it. So when we shoulder the load together, it's different. I think of Churchill, you know, and how he just went into parliament and rallied everybody when they were about, it was all left. And the British citizens are like, oh, hell no, we're with you. And and that's all. And we as leaders, we need that too. I need to know when I tell you I'm vulnerable, I need to know you're all in. And when you're all in, then all of a sudden I get like supersized Wonder Woman because I'm like, well, I got them. And it's just, you know, for leaders, the best thing that our our team members and stuff can do is, you know, we have to pour into them. But when you pour into us with that kind of I'm all in and we're, and we're right behind you, then we can charge the hill together. That's a oh my God. I can't even tell you the amount of like faith, fortitude, strength, yes. and love I felt. Yes. Can we just yes. acknowledge that love is actually a part of business? People right. want to feel appreciated. And yeah, it put more gas in my tank. So I was able to be like, okay, I knew I had something worth fighting for, but now I've got just more affirmation that it's worth fighting for because I've got the people that just told me and gave me this validation. And, you know, I love the work of Brene Brown and she talks about vulnerability and leadership. And I think, you know, it's not like, oh, I have big feelings. That's not what she's saying. It's about maybe I don't have the answers right now and I just need support. And I think what you do when you constantly put up this facade of being bulletproof. A, you increase your wariness. B, you burn out very, very quickly. And C, you don't let your people know you. You don't know them. There's an element. There's, you're building a huge wall between you. There's no intimacy. And you know what? Business, schmizness, I don't care. There is an element of intimacy that is required to breed trust. Trust is the thing that gets things done. Well, I was just going to say that it's the T word next yeah. to tremendous. It's trust. Because when you do that, when I can trust you, that's all I need to do. And whether we die on the field or we live to fight another day, it does not matter. It's 300. We're going to go into battle together, you know, and this is it. We're going to say, we're all going down together. And I mean, that's a, you know, that's a beautiful thing, even in business. So I love that you brought the trust in. And if I know I've got people that I trust, all of a sudden the weariness, I think when you're not sensing that trust, that really drains on you. That's physically and emotionally draining because you know, something's not right. 
you know, something's not going on. No, absolutely. I mean, so even when Julia got cancer, so Julia is my successor. She's the COO of the company. When she got cancer, there was one thing that was never in question. She knew I'd have her back. Yeah. I paid her her full-time salary while she was out the whole time that we were able to. And you know, that's, that's trust. She knew she could lean on me without even asking. Right. And I knew she'd have my back without even asking and finding that kind of leadership and trust. It's always been through like absolute balls out honesty with her. Like she and I, oh my God, you don't want to be in a room with us. We're kind of scary when we're that blunt. Like if you're afraid of the truth, never, ever, ever sit on one of our meetings. But like our financial negotiations, when I first brought her on was like, this is what I've got you in. Well, this is what I want. Well, that's what I'm, you know, this is where I can meet you. You in? Okay. I mean, it was just so simple because there's no BS on either part, no posturing, no, no facades, no manipulation, no agendas, nothing hidden. It's just, these are the cards on the table. Can we just co-create? Okay. I love it. I love it. It's so much more efficient. And as a high D and she's like a screaming high D, it's so much easier. Well, and you know what, for the leaders listening out there, it's really important for your team. Make sure you get people that are, because not everybody, this isn't everybody's cup of tea. And so it can get you through the peacetime stuff, but inevitably when you hit the tough stuff, you want people that are going to stay with you and not run off when the going gets tough kind of thing. All right. And at some point the world will get weird. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a fact of the matter. I mean, we've been through a lot of weird things. This won't be the last weird thing. There's, there's, we're all living to be 120. So there's going to be many, many, many weird things in our lives. So that's just a fact of the matter. So make sure you get people that can handle it ahead of time, because I'm looking at the, looking at the uh, coronavirus, the crisis and people are like, hasn't this changed? I go, nope. All it did was reveal what was inside of people. Resilient yep. people were resilient before the virus. They're going to be resilient after. If you were flaky or not really in before, you're really not going to be in after. Uh, nothing changed. You know, when you so get true. squeezed, it comes out of you. So for leaders it's out like, there, it's like money yeah. just makes you more of what you already are. Yeah, exactly. Crisis and money have a lot in common in that regard. Exactly. So for our listeners out there, what Laura's saying is absolutely make sure you've got people on your team that, that you let them know right from the get-go. I know you'll love me when the going's good, but I need to know you're going to be there when it's not because there are going to be times when it's not. So, and, and, you and, need and a big part of how you do that is through just being honest about your own yes. limitations and, and using that whole vulnerability aspect and, and actually using your weariness as a reminder to maybe take a week to reflect on a problem because chances are it'll be there when you get back. Oh yeah, it will be. <laughs> Okay. Loneliness, weariness. The next thing he talked about was abandonment and we're in the pet rescue business. So abandonment tends to have a negative connotation. But when he talked about abandonment, it was more of a focus thing. We need to abandon what we like and want to think about in favor of what we ought and need to think about. Now for us high deers, we may be able to crack this nut sooner than, than before, but how do you stay really super focused? Because we tend to be, entrepreneurs tend to be very radial thinkers and lots of good ideas. We get hit with a lot of things. How do you stay on task? I love that you're asking a girl with ADHD. That this will be fun. I'm a big fan of shiny objects. So maybe <laughs> aren't we all on this section, but I'll do my best. Actually, like kind of having fun with this, but like the fact that I have ADHD has actually forced me to be probably better at focus than most people. So there's a couple of truths that I have in terms of leadership. I find that most things that people present to you as an emergency aren't really an emergency. Mm-hmm. It's usually mm-hmm. just people being impatient or I want it now. So my general approach to a lot of things is cool, try this and get back to me. Or what have you done to research this? Nothing. Okay, go do that, then get back to me. Usually I will hand people's problems back to them because usually people are looking for easy answers versus actually making any sort of attempt to figure it out themselves. But also here's another kind of crappy truth. 
most problems you can actually ignore. You can't ignore the coronavirus and losing revenue. You can't do that. Right. Most problems you can actually ignore, which is terrible business advice, but I'm going to tell you why. Because most problems will actually solve themselves on their own by virtue of them not being important, someone else getting frustrated with waiting for you and decide to solve it on their own, which they should have done the first time, or it will just recur or get worse. In the unlikely event, which is only 10% of the time that it recurs or get worse, ah, then it's worthy of your time. So... You have an opportunity to just kind of make your schedule filled with only things that are actually worthy of being attended to just by virtue. I hate saying it, but kind of just ignoring it, like figure it out yourself. Oh, it went away on its own. Oh, it wasn't that important. Told you like people inflate the importance of issues all the time. People have this hysterical mentality when it comes to, oh my God, the sky is falling. The sky is falling. Is it really? Right. Is it? I don't think so. Tell you what, when you discover it was only an apple and everything's fine, let me know and we can high five about it later. Meanwhile, I've got real problems to solve. You know, it sounds somewhat cold and calculated, but that's the truth. You have to be willing to just let things get worse, recur, or go away. It's just the truth. So regarding the attention thing, I too have more ideas than I know what to do with. So I invented (laughs) this little uh, thing, which is at least I've invented it for me. You might have already thought of it, but I have the idea parking lot. And I love my genius mind. I always think of new businesses, new business approaches, new products, new this, new that. New is sexy. New is also distracting as all hell. So I will come up with an idea and I'll just get it out of my head because my brain wants to get it out. But it doesn't mean I need to give birth to it or give life to it. I just need to get the idea out because otherwise it will, I will be derailed. So I have an entire document folder in my business files, both for the vision and vision advertising and for the six habits, Mm -hmm. I have an idea parking lot folder. So I'll just briefly unpack my idea. And if it continues to nag at me for weeks, then it's an idea I clearly need to do something with Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or talk about with my team. But if I've just gotten it out and boy, that was a really fun thought exercise. I let myself have it because the thing is when we deny our brains, the joy of play we stop being creative. We stifle the joy that makes us entrepreneurs. We're joyful entrepreneurs because we love to create. But if we are so disciplined that we actually take the joy out of it and like, no, don't create. Right. You're missing stuff. Don't do that. So put things in the ideal parking lot. And if they suck, they suck. Most of them will suck. Right. I love that. Don't derail yourself. Well, and, and you know what? A lot of people, I was just on somebody else's podcast last week and they're like, which do you think comes first, creativity or motivation? And I'm like, well, creativity. And, and like you said, you ha- we have to allow our brain because as leaders, we have to be, and we're going to talk about with, the, with, with vision, we're future thinkers. So, you know, I love that we're technicians. We love the operations of running the business, but we have to be, spend much, much more of our time. And I'll tell you what, sister, you unpacked a whole lot of stuff on that. I love that. Get to work, either it recurs or it goes away. That's not mean. I mean, like you said, uh, and I read a book, uh, Contrarian's Guide to Leadership, and Steve Sam- <laughs> Stamp Sample said that not everything is an urgent, and um, and even when even when the media sticks a microphone in your mouth, you don't have to answer. Well, what do you think about this? Do I need to weigh in on this? No. And I watch all these businesses jump on things. What does this have to do with your business? What just? Stay in your lane and because wow. otherwise you're, you're just going to, I don't see how anything good has come of this. And then your people are like, why are we pulling this way? Why are we pulling this way? So I'll tell you well, what, sister, you lot, unpack I mean, that. Listen, you just brought up something really powerful. And I think that there's probably a lot of inclination right now on the, on the part of leaders and companies to weigh in on the national mess. Oh, everything. 
Well, Anna, right? Never, yeah, right. But look, here's my perspective. Julia is extremely political. She's got opinions about everything. Even the things that nobody has opinions about, she's got opinions because she's just an opinionated human being. She's an opinion with heels, mm-hmm. right? I, on the other <laughs> hand, I have a lot of opinions and I realize that I barely give a shit about my own opinions, much less anyone else. So here's the thing. So I'm going to tell you about my views about the election. Right. No. Does nobody gives a care. shit. Right. And okay, they just don't. So I'm just going to go ahead and just acknowledge nobody cares. Right. And you're here talking to me through vision advertising because you need a marketing solution. Me yammering on about politics and what's in my head does not help you make more money. So I am going to do you the respect of shutting up and doing my damn job. You know, am I sending out emails? So here's what our COVID response is. Right. Nobody cares. Nobody well, cares. They want to, they- you know what people want to know? Are you still doing my marketing? Can you still help me make money? Great. Go do that. Right. And I don't need you to preach to me. Do you know how many people I unsubscribe my auto ship from? Because they're preaching to me about different things. Shut up. I order from you. I don't need to hear. I know what my convictions are and I know how I behave. So, but it's this weird mentality that you have to, you all have to go ahead and do all this stuff. And I've watched churches, schools, businesses, you know, add resources to doing stuff. And I'm like, okay, but you know, well, but I digress. trying to be important. And I, I guess that's it. Yeah. Here's, yeah. here's how you become important. First of all, get over yourself right. and realize that your role that you serve for people is the thing they need you for. Right. Number one. Number right. two, you are important by the fact that you are alive, period. Stop trying right. to validate yourself by weighing in on things that are not what your role is revolving around. If you are a politician, by all means, you should be talking right. about it. Right. That's your field. That's your lane. Yeah. Correct. Well, like, you know, if you're a medical office and you're, con- you know, people are concerned about visiting you, by all means, talk right. about it. But if you're right. like, you know, like a marketer like myself, where we do business virtually anyway, does it matter? It does not. Stay the hell out of it. Do your job and do it well. Actually do it better than you've ever done it. Like, like now the client's that have been able to stick around because their businesses are not being forced to close, they need more help than they've ever needed. Right. They need me to show up. They need me to be creative. They need me to solve problems. So I am actually increasing my value by focusing and leaning in on what I am needed for. That's beautiful. I love that. Oh gosh, Laura. Okay. Excellent. Abandonment. That's my favorite one so far. The other ones were really close, but I mean, you just hit that. And you know what? To the ADHD people out there, I just married a man that is. That allows you when you dial that in to achieve hyper-focus, which is typically what uber successful people have. I can be scattered, but I can't draw my focus in. So you sharing that and your tips for how to do that, absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much. You're okay, welcome. so so vision, you know, where there's no vision, the people perish. My dad, you know, very pre- eighth grade education, life of poverty, you know, wasn't raised with anybody telling him you're special, you're different, you're destined for greatness. He just said that vision was really just seeing what needs to be done and doing it. So can you share with me, uh, you seem like a very pragmatic, I love your blend of tactics and strategy, but can you tell me how about vision, what that means for you and how you craft it going forward? Well, you're in the midst of it right now. So where are you going? Yeah. Well, vision you know, pardon the pun. It's also the name of my company in Massachusetts. And that's not an accident because you need to have clear insight into what you want. What do you want? You know, and taking a look at particularly like the crisis, and I'm just going to pick on my own company as an example, and then, and then talk about some more abstract concepts um, mm-hmm. after that. But like my own company, right? Kind of on fire. Even though the clients that we still have love us very much and they're looking to even do more, which is wonderful, we've still s- suffered significant losses as a result of what's going on. You know, and it's easy for me as a human and it's easy for Julia and everybody in the company to be like, oh my God, oh my God, things are on fire. What do we do? What do we do? And how do we put out fires? 
stop. What do we want? What do we want? You know, and I've being able to pull back. It's like, well, what I want is for the company that I spent 21 years of my life building, which is a whole able to drink adult worth of life. Like, how do I get this like child that I've grown up to continue to thrive? It's possible. There are a lot of millionaires being made in crisis. Oh, yes. I'd like to be one of them. You know, like, how do I, how do I make this company better? That would be what I want, right? What I want is to draw my people closer to strengthen and deepen the relationships I have with the clients and make them realize I've never left them. In my darkest hour, when we've suffered more than we've ever suffered as a company, I never let them go. I never selfishly focused on me, 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 me. I focused on this is what I am committed to, which is a great company with loyalty to the clients, not loyalty to the dollars, but loyalty to the humans. Mm -hmm. So looking at that, right, keeping the vision of, what I really, really deeply want, it forces me to actually get really creative. You know, I'm looking at growth by acquisition. It's like, cool, well, we're down 50%. I could buy another company. Oh, you're dying? Neat. How about I buy you? And I'll Mm -hmm. pick the, I'll pick your carcass. It's fine. (laughs) It's cruel, but it's, you know, it's lots of people, lots of companies grow. That's how growth um, is done. Right. Right. Exactly. And it's like, it's not just going out there and hustle and sell. I cannot like literally double the size of my company in a month. Nobody could do that. Like you can buy acquisition. So I'm looking at that and it's forcing me to get creative. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, it's truly, it's a desire, right? I had no desire. And I mean this with all my heart. I had no desire when I retired to ever come back. That's why I retired. Weird, huh? But like when I was done, I was done. It doesn't mean I don't love it. Doesn't mean that I don't care about it. It just means that this was 19 years. Thank you. I'm good. Now you run it. I'm here to support you. We'll have meetings, but it's your job now. And I'm passing the torch. When you pass the torch, you never expect it to be handed back to you. And it's like, why am I holding this? (laughs) And you need to like actually like return to the vision that I've like for me, I had to return to the vision Mm. of what I had the whole time, which was create a job I wanted, create a company I want to work for, create a company that runs with high integrity, that actually does what it says on the box. You know, like for me, like I, it's never been about money, which is why I've made money. Ironic, but it's true. I've always been in the business of serving others. Hmm. You know, it was through a for-profit lens. The vision for me has been actually clarified by virtue of me leaving, talking about getting distance. I had a year and a half of retirement distance. I came back with a vengeance. I was like, cool, the world is on fire. I got this. And then I was in about two months into it. I was like, I don't got this. But like (laughs) the vision has kept me on track and it will. Right. You know, like the thing about this is like, there's another element. Okay. I'm probably going down a couple different roads. Stop me if it gets confusing, but I think that some of us get lost in figuring out, well, what's my purpose in life? And we enmesh it with life purpose and profession. Those two can go together, but they don't have to. Hmm. It wasn't until 2018 that I discovered that my purpose in life was actually to serve others and bring joy and freedom to people. Okay. And I had always been doing that through vision advertising because I help small families to feed their families by helping their businesses that they rely on to grow 
and be prosperous. That's yeah. what I do. I help moms and dads that start businesses with a shaky hand know that they're doing the right thing. I help them hire their first employee. I help them to create jobs and to put their kids through college. That's what I do. And that's the help, love, and security I've always been doing. Mm-hmm. Now I approach it in a different respect with fortifying leaders. So now we can bring joy, love, respect, transparency, and stillness from the top down. Mm-hmm. And in, at the end of the day, my vision for myself as a human has always been one of service mm-hmm. and getting clear. My personal vision is to be of service. Mm-hmm. And I look, about, I look at that now with, okay, well, vision's on fire. Julia's got cancer and I have another company. And I myself actually have needs to not be unhealthy. How do I be of service and how do I help my clients thrive by being of service? How do I help Julia by doing everything I can by moving heaven and earth to give her the sun, moon, and stars while she's in cancer? So the last thing she worries about is the integrity of the company or her income. How do I honor my employees and give them the emotional security that they need to know that their job is safe and that I will lay my own salary down before I will ever ask them to take a pay cut? How do I do these things? And how do I do it all without setting myself on fire? Mm -hmm. No, the service to self, by the way, is the thing that always got ignored for years. No, mm-hmm. it doesn't. Self right. is the thing I pay attention to first. So right. that's my vision. I love that. Well, and you were talking about that one thing you said about your life purpose may be different than your profession. That's really profound because you tie everything back to your values, your convictions, and then everything else kind of tentacles out, be it the old company, the new company, your self-care. And so I bring this up because I work with a lot of leaders and people that I'm you know, coaching and stuff. And they're like, well, can my life purpose be different than this? And it's like, well, yeah, I love that you called that out. But I think everything orients back to the value of service. And, you know, some people are like, well, you got to be a lot more uh, defined about that. And I'm like, okay, perhaps, I mean, maybe you get clarity on the the to-dos. Yeah, you do and you don't. I think some people do. And I'm really glad you you said that because I'm always wondering if I'm giving people bad advice. I mean, people are like, well, why are you here? What's your big why? I've known what my why is. Even though you don't doubt your why, you know what your why is, even though you're in crisis. I've never doubted my why to help people live a tremendous book through the transformative power of of people, God, and books, okay? But then there's everything else that comes after that. And so- as long as everything orients back to that, I can be a little fluid in the design. And I think that takes the pressure off yes. too, because I think everybody likes this paradigm of where you're too, it's not, and I'm like, well, don't poop actually, my mission statement. Well, yeah, I mean, to color in a little bit of what you're saying and just add some texture to it, people love their neat little boxes because humans just love categories. That's <laughs> the reason why we call people black or white, or Jewish, or Christian, or Muslim, or agnostic, or atheist, or you know, gay, or straight, or cisgender. People love their neat little boxes. Many people have been raised and exist in the world to believe that without the constraints of categorization and labeling, we're lost. Yeah. And this is where entrepreneurs are different. Yes. This is where leaders are different. Yes. We have the ability to exist without some of these containers mm-hmm. and actually do quite well. So for years, I would always try to put myself in a neat little box. Well, I'm on the planet to do marketing. Nope, that doesn't feel right. I'm on the planet to be a writer. Mm, that doesn't feel right either. It felt too specific and too limited. Mm-hmm. When I was able, like yes. if, if, you t- if you think of a doctor, you know, oh, my foot hurts here. Here's a cast. That's not a good doctor. A good doctor is, why does your foot hurt? Let's get to the root. Okay. The same thing with purpose. What is the root 
I needed to know that my purpose is actually to serve and help and give people safety, security, love, and joy. And there's a million ways I can do this. I even wanted to open a bakery because I love feeding people and that makes people feel all the things, right? And someday I might do that. Like, you cannot imagine the amount of love and joy, security, and safety I get from an almond croissant, okay? It's just the truth. I love that. I call that the tremendous blend. I'm like, don't be so dichotomous. Who says you can't pull the best? Of- my dogs write books. My dogs, are- I-, I love books. I love leadership. I love rescue animals. Why can't I have books written by my animals that teach leadership con- constructs to kids? Never had them. I sure love hanging out with them because I'm just a big kid. Okay. Exactly. They get me. They think I'm like the coolest kid in the school. Finally, I get to be the coolest kid in the school. That's awesome. So it's like, why do I have to, why can't I, why can't I do all? But, you know, blend it, make a little like coffee blend and put all the so little- So you understand like the core yeah. element. And that's, that's really the purpose of it. Like with, yeah. with the vision element. And this is one of the things I've been helping with people with for 21 years. And now with, with my other company too, it's like, why the hell are you doing this? Right. You know, I was meeting with uh, an attorney last week who is an extremely pragmatic, you know, these are the rules kind of attorney. And I was like, I'm sorry in advance. We're going to have to talk about your feelings. Does that make you want to barf? And she's like, a little, Okay. Well, here's the deal. If you're the head of your law firm, I need to actually talk to you about your why. And your why is bigger than you just doing billings. It's perhaps about your daughter. Perhaps it's about you want to spend more time with your husband and you'd like to actually enjoy your life. Maybe you don't get enough vacation time. We need to talk about your feelings and it's going to be gross. Can you hang? And she's like, sounds horrible. Sure. Count me in. So we went into it. We talked about her why, and we got to the core of it. And she's like, she was able to reveal to me, which a lot of super ultra pragmatic people struggle to do, that the real core of why she does what she does is because she really, really wants to, she wants to grow her company because she wants to spend more time with her family. Yes. Right. And she needed the invitation to just own, damn, I actually, I have to grow my company because it has nothing to do with making more billings it's about me regaining my time because listen, my friends, please pay attention carefully. Money is infinite. You can make as much as you want. Time is not. Time is the ultimate luxury. Like when I retired at 37, did I do it as a multimillionaire? Nope. And I have no problem admitting that, but I was wealthier than most people because I had the luxury of doing whatever the hell I wanted with my time. I sat on the beach. I snorkeled with turtles. I sat aimlessly and picked my nose if I felt like it because that was my luxurious choice. Yes. Time. And that's what this woman wanted. And that's what a lot of us want. And maybe our purpose is our family. Maybe our purpose is to serve. Maybe our purpose is not to serve. And it's maybe to create, Mm -hmm. right? Like, Mm -hmm. I want to be really clear about this. So many people think, oh God, my purpose isn't altruistic. There's something wrong with it. No, you could actually be just a selfishly motivated person that you just want to enjoy your own damn life. There's nothing wrong with that. Okay. I've met some very successful people in life that the reason they work so hard is because they like to play so hard. Mostly men. They have no problem separating the two things. And I'm like, good for you guys. We as women have a hard time with that. But I love that you also talked about the fact that she wants to grow her company. I love that you had on it for entrepreneurs. It's not just about us. Yes, I, I want the business to run and so I can reclaim more of my time, but also we're letting other people, entrepreneurs create other little mini entrepreneurs. And that's why small businesses are the backbone. That's why COVID sucks because it's killing all them. And we are the backbone of everything. And so I just love that you brought up the fact that that lawyer and Ali was more time with their family, but then more than to build other people, just like we like it, other people like it. I mean, having your own thing is the only way you truly get to experience real freedom and get to call your own shots. And that's a beautiful thing. 
So true. I have to tell you, the COVID thing sucks, period. I hate what's going on in the political landscape. Like, I don't care what you believe or who you're voting for or whatever. This is not a pleasant time. Right. It's just not. And it's very, you're seeing the worst of people and it's just really frightening, uncertain thing. Correct. But there is good here. And here's some of the good that I'm going to share with you. Of course, people are getting perspective about what's really important in life but you're finding more and more people are gaining courage to take that entrepreneurial leap. Yes, Did you yes. know that America was actually founded on entrepreneurs? And you know, like 200 years ago, something like 85% of this country was all small business owners. I know. And now I those know. people are groomed, go to college, get a J-O-B, and then work for someone else. Baby, build the machine. I know. Don't work I in it. I know. Build it. I know. I did it for 20 years and then I'm like, I can't do it anymore. I just can't do it anymore. So I'm glad you you heated your entrepreneurial spirit earlier than that. Laura, okay, so wrapping this up, anything else you want to share with our listeners? Can you talk about your six step, your construct so they can understand that too? Sure, yeah. So having spent so many years in leadership, I did a lot of things the wrong way. And I freely admit that. I set myself on fire to keep others warm, put my needs last because I was socialized to believe that it was bad to do that. And it's selfish. And as a woman, you don't, don't, don't do that. Right. So what we got is when I retired, yeah, you know what? It's pretty notable to retire at 37. It really is. But do you think I cared? Nope. I was numb. I was, I just didn't care. Mm. But then what I was actually feeling was frustration, burnout. I was feeling the effects of a three-year-long illness that I had yet to pinpoint and it was getting worse. I was fighting with my husband. My friends and family weren't seeing me and they were just getting the worst of me when they did. I was falling apart at the seams. And I remember when I retired, I remember just wanting to sit in my jammies and stare at the wall and feel bad for myself. Mm. And I did. And in that time that I was staring at the wall, my mind, of course, never shuts up. So it was quite busy while the body was just basically catatonic. And I'm sitting there in this state and I'm like, why did I do all this? You know, because I had chased the money, the success, you know, and yes, I always wanted to be in service, but I was doing it for the wrong reasons. It's because I wanted to matter. I wanted to be important to people because I wanted people to like me. And that's just the truth. It's very, very vulnerable. It's very true. Okay. And because of this, I got the house, I got the car, all the toys, the travel, the everything, right? I had all the stuff and status symbols that you're supposed to have. So when I got there at 37, I had collected all the prizes and I was at the finish line and it really felt no better than an ordinary Wednesday. I'm like, well, this sucks. So I was faced with a choice. Do I continue going down the road, just chasing more highs Or do I actually get uncomfortable and let stuff get weird? And do I figure out what happiness really is? Being an entrepreneur, I'm just a problem solver and I'm very pragmatic. It's like, okay, I like formulaic. I like instructions. I want answers. So I started trying to figure out, well, what did I do wrong? What is happiness? Because it's clearly not chasing stuff and it's not chasing highs. What is it? And then can my stubborn ass actually have it? And if so, how? So I started looking at every single thing I had ever heard about happiness, everything from drinking your face off to meditation to, you know, climbing a mountain in Nepal to like masturbation, like what is happiness, right? And I started putting every single possible concept into neat little piles. I started observing human behavior, my own included, and looking at happy people and studying them. What the hell are they doing, right? And started looking for more things to put in these little piles. And six little piles emerged of piles and piles of information within each one. I'm like, well, what the hell are these? These are six wonderful ideas, but are they just ideas? Nope. Are these six great things to know? 
Nope. These are six mental habits. These are not like, like even meditation. Meditation fits into one of the habits. Masturbation fits into it. Sorry to say the M word twice in your podcast, but like, you know, business, starting a business, pursuing your dreams, the way you speak to yourself, sales ability, everything fits into these six categories, right? Mm -hmm. And in order to like understand everything. I had to understand more about the habits. So I started experimenting and figuring it out and like living these habits, right? It only became clear as I became, you know, I used myself as the guinea pig and some willing clients, which I loved. And we were able to get really clear. Oh, these are perspectives. This is, this informs how I see the world, where I belong in it, what, what I get out of it, what I'm going to do and, and how I exist as a leader, how I can pursue my dreams and my purpose and everything. So the six habits, um, I'll tell you what they are. And I will tell you like the habits themselves, the words are not revelatory. The fact that they are habitual thought construct and patterns is the revelation, right? So it's kindness to yourself, acceptance of yourself, gratitude for everything in life, especially the crap, presence, which is hard to do as a person with ADHD, but I've still managed to nail it. Goodness, which is energy management, good energy in, bad energy out, and intention. Intention is action and clarity around action, right? So entrepreneurs and leaders tend to be really good at intention, but I will be the first one to tell you right now, I needed the fancy car because I didn't accept myself and I wanted to earn others' approval. I wanted others to see the nice car that I drove. I wanted to earn more money. So I could finally feel enough. Mm-hmm. I, I chased all these different things like, you know, cause I wasn't kind to myself. I made sales because I treated myself like crap. Mm. You know, you're a loser. You're not going to be able to make this sale. And my own personal sense of defiance would be like, screw you self. Yes, I can. Right. And I just wanted to feel good enough. Yeah. And when my retirement came, I was taking it for granted. I wasn't grateful. I wasn't grateful for the brain that God gave me and all the wonderful things that I'd been given in life, including my adversity to got me there. I wasn't grateful for all the people that served me and helped me and gave me lessons along the way. I was so checked out, un, you know, like distracted, not present. I was loading, I mean, loading myself with tons of toxic energy and I was depleting my reserves. I was a hot mess when I retired, mm-hmm. hot, steaming mess. It was awful. Like I look back and all I want to do is take myself from two years ago and just hug myself yeah. and just be like, it's going to be okay. Like yeah. you did yeah. the best you could, honey. And yeah. here's the thing about acceptance, kindness, and all these wonderful habits, right? I don't burn my old self down. I look back on no. her with love and be like, right. girl, you got me here. I love right. you. Right. That's right. Well, what a beautiful place that you have gotten to the point where you were able to give yourself grace. And that's what I tell people. Did it, why did it take me 10 years to finally dial in the business what I wanted to do? I don't know, but it did. And it's okay. And you, you got to give yourself grace. So I love that, that you can look at yourself from two years ago and just feel compassion. We had to go through it. We had to be that person. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the thing, that, the thing about these habits that I found is that they're so nice to know about, mm-hmm. um, but it actually takes application. And uh, my yeah. favorite analogy, just because it's so silly and stupid, is the difference between knowledge and, you know, application of knowledge is a tomato. A tomato, you know, is a fruit. The application of that knowledge is not putting it in a fruit salad. So, you know, it's silly, but it's the truth, right? But the thing about these behaviors, right? And this is the whole reason why I wrote the book is so I could share it with other people. Right. And I developed a whole comprehensive 90-day habit mastery program for myself because I needed it because I started researching. I was like, oh, shoot, if these are habits, 
how am I going to cultivate this? Right. How am I going to do this? I am stubborn. Oh my God. I'm so stubborn. I don't like meeting my own expectations. I hate it. In fact, and I'm really good at letting myself down. I tend to break all the promises I've ever made to myself and habits are not something you decide. Oh, well, that's it. I'm a person that flosses now. No, you need to actually cultivate the habit. So I started researching habit. It turns out based on several studies that I read um, and actually proof of living it. Did you know it actually takes 66 days of consistent effort to form a habit? And if you're a bit of a slacker like me, it takes a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. And people think it just takes like uh, three weeks or I've heard it even 40 days. So 66. Yeah. 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 These are marketers. And I say this as a CEO of a marketing company, you're being lied to cut yeah. it out. But like the truth is you need the 66 days of repetitious, correct action. And the whole reason why I set up the program is because I wanted to actually, number one, create a construct of what is the correct action? What is the new thoughts I should be having. What do I seed my brain with? What do I, how do I do this? How do I reprogram my own head over a period of 90 days so I can become the person that I speak nothing but love to myself? Laura, you can do this. Oh, the world is on fire? Cool, you got this. Right. You know what, Laura? You don't need a Land Rover. You could drive a Hyundai from 1982 and you are still an awesome human. And if they don't want to be friends with you, that's a shame. For them because they're missing out. You know, I look at my life. I'm grateful for everything. Even when my husband gets under my skin and pisses me off, I'm so grateful I have an opportunity to enrich his life and make him better and love him. Mm-hmm. You know, I can be present and I don't have toxic crap in my life. Oh, news, bye bye. Social know. media, bye bye. Right? Intention Amen. Amen. Oh my God. <laughs> I love it. Hey, well, where can people pick up your book and how can people get in touch with you? Because I know we're friends on Facebook, so we do have it, but we don't live in that land. Where can they get the book or 90 Day Mastery? Okay. So the center of everything is at thesixhabits.com. Okay. So it's T-H-E-S-I-X habits.com. And you can get the book, the audio book, you can get the ebook or even the 90 day program. But the thing I want to invite everybody to take advantage of right now, go to the six habits.com, download a free chapter of the book. Nice. Listen to the sound of my melodic voice, reading it to you, or you can get the ebook, whatever makes you happy, but go get the free chapter right now. Costs you nothing and you're going to love it. I love it. Oh man, Laura, thank you so much for listeners out there. You make sure you go check this out, download this. And I just can't thank you enough. Boy, I think I've met my match. I know people say I have a lot of energy. You, my dear friend. And I love that you lived what you're sharing with people because then you can tell. Because if it doesn't work for you, how's it going to work for anybody else? And I'm just so thankful. And we'll be thinking and praying about you with the journey with the company and your successor with her illness too. And I just can't wait to see how you emerge from this. Miss Phoenix, it's going to be something unbelievable. Well, I know we're going to talk again and I, I am can't really wait. forward to that. I'm really grateful for this opportunity to spend time with you, to have such an engaging, important conversation that I think that people need to hear. And I appreciate the invitation to be able to share so vulnerably about perhaps the not so perfect parts of leadership. And I really hope it serves. It does. And I'll tell you what, especially for women leaders out there, boy, it was just so good to, for you to just unpack. And I mean, I learned so much from it. I feel absolutely refreshed. It's been an incredibly motivated Monday and I know our listeners will too. So thank you again, Laura. Thank you. Yeah. And to our listeners out there, if you like what you heard, be sure and hit the subscribe button wherever you listen. Do us the honor of a five-star rating. And if you look in the notes underneath, we'll have all the links to Laura's website 
how you can get in touch with her, how you can get the book, how you can get more tremendous books and DVDs and CDs. And to our tremendous leaders out there, thank you so much for paying the price of leadership. I know you've been really richly blessed by this and you keep on paying that price. We're thankful for you being in our tremendous tribe. Have a tremendous rest of the day. Thank you for listening to Tremendous Leadership with Dr. Tracy Jones. Find out more about Dr. Jones at www.tremendousleadership.com. If you've been ignited by something you heard in this episode, let us know by leaving a review for Tremendous Leadership wherever you listen to podcasts or by sending us a message through www.tremendousleadership.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.